last week's message. We did not get through it. Um, so hopefully we'll get this done uh, this morning. Um, I said last week, we'll do a little review of last, of last week's message for about five minutes, hopefully, um, just to give you an idea where we were. Nick had sent out a, uh, Nick Rotaco had sent out a little video, it was actually a Paul Washer speaking, a little clip uh, talking about the love of God he has for his people, and really this is one of the reasons why I'm actually giving this message, because it was just a, such a good video, it just encouraged me, Nick, I know he sent it to other men as well, and uh, it just really encouraged me to just talk about the love of God for his people. Um, and so we did that last week, and we'll do that this week as well. Romans 5, I want to read verse 1 through 11 as we did in our first message. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. I almost want to replace that. Don't replace it, but in my mind, when he says not only that, it's almost like saying, you think that's something, here's more, you know. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint or does not make a shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice. In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, help us, we pray, as we seek to exalt your love to your people. Help us, Father, I pray, as your people, to wonder and be in amazement at the awesome, the greatness, the depth, the height, the length of the love that you have for us. We know that love is manifested at Calvary. Help us not to lose sight of that. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't labor ever to try to gain that love or to increase that love. Father, we know that that is not possible. Remind us of that today. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right. Uh, by way of review for a couple things that we dealt with uh, last week, uh, I don't think that there's anything at all that I could possibly encourage you by uh, to serve the Lord today than by reminding you as a child of God how much the Lord loves you. I know also that I'm not going to exhaust the subject from last week to this week, but it's something that we will forever throughout all eternity be in amazement of. Um, I've seen a, a great quote, though, I think it was last week, about God's love. I think it was by A.W. Pink. I didn't write it down, so it's based upon memory, so I may not have it perfect. Uh, he said this, something along these lines. He said, when I look at myself and see how filthy and vile and wretched I am, I wonder how in the world could God possibly love me? He said this, but when I look at God and see how wonderful and glorious He is, I wonder how on earth could He not? <laughs> I just love that. 
because it really put the love and respects that's all from God, not based upon anything in ourselves, but I've never heard it worded exactly like that. We are to be in amazement of God's love, not because we are somebody worthy to be loved. And that was our first thought last week, was that the nature of God's love is, is that it is unmerited to us. There's nothing at all that we did to earn it. And that as Romans 5, 6, we're taught that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly or those without strength. We had no ability to come to God. There was nothing at all that God seen in us that made Him or move Him to want to love us. We were true enemies of righteousness and godliness and holiness, but yet God chose to love us. God demonstrates His own love toward us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, He died for us. What an amazing love. Nothing at all we could do to earn that love. Jerry Bridges said this. We did not share this quote last week, but we will today. He said, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the Scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God, who is love, and it flows to us through our union with His beloved Son. I like that. I'm glad that God's love does not fluctuate based upon my faith, or based upon my doubts, or based upon my fear. You know, when your child is experiencing fear or doubts about things, uh, that does not change at all your love for them. You don't look at them and see them maybe in the weakness of their mind, doubting your affection for them, and say, well, you know what? I don't think I will love them as much. You know what you will do when you see that? You will assure them of your love for them. And that their fears or doubts about that does not change that whatsoever. That is the nature of God's love. It is unmerited. It does not change based upon even our faith. Us believing in the love of God more as God's people does not change God's love for us. It changes how we relate to God personally by believing more upon His love, but it doesn't change His love whatsoever. He loves us with an unmerited love, an unconditional love. Secondly, we've seen He loves us with an everlasting love. It, doesn't, it never leaves. It never fades. And there's nothing in this world that can take that away. We quoted from Romans 8 how that nothing uh, can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Principalities, powers on this earth, powers in the heavens, powers underneath, nothing nor angels, anything present in your life, anything you've went through or going to go through, nothing at all can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing at all. And we need assured of that, reminded of that. And then we'll get more into that in a little while about how it can help us and how it will affect us as a people of God. So God's love is unmerited. It is everlasting. It's, it keeps us strong as, as we meditate upon those things. And then thirdly, we stated that the love of God is sacrificial in its manifestation. And, and we think about, well, how does God love me? Well, he manifested his love through the cross of Calvary. 
You know, if you're looking upon this earth and, and going through things and, and you look at your circumstances and you're saying, well, I, I'm trying to see how God loves me in this. Look, and you're looking at the wrong place. God doesn't give us assurance that He loves us. Uh, no greater place at all than at the place of Calvary. The Word of God says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what I mean by what I'm saying is this, is that you can't look at your present circumstance and say, well, I just know God loves me because of this. Say, well, I know God loves me because He's given me a family. Really? Well, what about those that don't have a family? Does it, can He love them too? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Well, I know God loves me because, boy, He gave me this job. What about the people that don't have a job right now? Does, does He love them? Can He love those people too? You see what I'm saying? We can't measure God's affection and love for us by our present circumstances. But oftentimes we doubt it. Well, does God love me because I'm going through these bad things in my life? This terrible thing has happened. Does God love me? Listen, the good things you go through is not a measurement of God's love. The bad things you go through is not a measurement of God's love. His love is unchanging. It is everlasting. It never changes, and it is totally manifested, not through our circumstances, whether it be good or bad, but it's 100% manifested on display, revealed for us to see at the cross of Calvary. Like we said last week, if you want to know how much God loves you, behold the Lamb of God. Look to the cross. Jesus Christ loved us that much. He gave His own life for our sins. So look at Calvary. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your husband, don't look at your wife, don't look at your kids and say, well, God must really love me. What about the person that has a bad husband or a bad wife? What about the person that's lost their kids? These things are not measurements of God's love. God can show His love sometimes through these things and loves us through these things, but those are not the manifestation of His love. There is nothing at all uh, that we can do to get God's love, nothing we can do to keep God's love, and there's no place greater to see God's love than at the cross of Calvary. Now next I want to highlight this. We didn't talk about this last week, so this is where we'll pick up at. God's love to us, it is personal in that relationship. It is personal in its relationship. The love of God is real to us. It's not just a system or a theory of facts. It isn't something that you, we just necessarily convince our minds upon. It is real in our hearts. And he says that in, in Romans 5, 5, where he says uh, this, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. It's seated deep within us. We're not just convinced in our minds, but it's something that, that lies within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He says it's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so the Holy, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit to the believer is to convince us, to persuade us of the love of God that He has for us. But the love of God is very personal in a relationship. He lets us be known that He loves us. Now we can see it personal in, in, in many ways in, in the Word of God, but the person I think of most of all in the Scriptures in relationship to this is John, the beloved of the Lord, as he titles himself that. 
Uh, John wrote so much about the love of God. Uh, the book of 1 John is, is full of it. Um, but we also find that, that the, uh, John's gospel, that when you read through that, as he gives testimony, there's obviously a very close and personal relationship he has with the Lord, isn't there? He knew the love of Christ. He knew it seemingly, whether he knew it more than the others, we do not know. But we also see his testimony and the things he says. He definitely knew it and spoke of it. Uh, he said things like this. So look in John 13. There's something special here uh, in this relationship. But I want to point this out for a re couple reasons. In John 13, uh, verse 21, knowing that John himself is, is writing this, but it says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, is this saying that Jesus only loved one of his disciples? That's not what it says. But one of them whom Jesus loved. And John wrote like this sometimes, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him, motioned to him, the disciple whom Jesus loved, to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. Listen, I think that there was a special relationship here between John and Jesus. So much so that Peter himself says, Hey, will you ask Jesus? Hey, will you ask Jesus who, that, who he's talking about? So there's something close and intimate there happening between Jesus and John. And so, uh, and so I think it's something to take note of. Now, so how do we know it's John? Well, you can compare Scripture with Scripture. You, you turn over to John 21, read verse 20 through 24, and you find out that this is indeed John that this is talking about. But John is not saying at all that Jesus didn't love the others. And John is not saying that Jesus loves John more than the others. It's not saying that at all. The language does not read that way. But can we not at least see that, that John knew the love of Jesus, possibly more intimately in a way that the others were not experiencing? It doesn't mean that God loved them more. You, you, might, you might have two children, and one of them is, you know, let's say they're the same age or, and all of this, and one of them has gone out on their own, and they've went against the Lord, they've went against the Word of God, and, and all of that, and you're not enjoying them, you're not intimate with them. Their relationship isn't what it could be. And the other one, I mean, they're loving Jesus, they're following the Lord, you have a close relationship with them, and it's a different relationship. But it doesn't mean that, that, that your love has changed. It doesn't mean you love one child more than the other. But does one child know a little bit more about your love and experience the intimacy of that love more than the other and enjoy you more than the other? Yes. It doesn't mean you love one more than the other, but one is closer and more intimate, more aware of your love and living in that love more, if you would. It doesn't change your love, but they know it more, enjoy it more. One author said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. I like that. <laughs> and um, God's love is personal for us as His people. I don't think He loves anyone more than the other. I, I do not believe that. 
He loved all of us so much as His people that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't just give part of His Son for some people. He gave all of His Son, right, for us as His people. He loved us that much. He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. So God loves us all the same. I really believe that. Now, are our relationships different with the Lord? Absolutely. But it does not mean His love has changed for us whatsoever. I believe John had a special relationship with Jesus. He's obviously physically closer to Jesus in the passage we read, but I think that represents where he was at with Jesus. I believe spiritually he was obviously probably closer to the Lord. Folks, you're not going to do anything to get God to love you anymore. And we tried to stress that over and over last week. There is not a thing at all you can do to get God to love you more. So get that out of your mind. Get that out of your head. Boy, if I, if I read the Bible more, if I go to church more, if I pray more, if I witness more, if I get rid of this, if I start doing that, well, God is just going to love me so much. There's nothing at all you can do as a child of God to get God to love you any more than what He already has and what He already does. I believe that's very freeing to us as the people of God, spiritually, emotionally, to know that, to know that. Because you're not laboring to some sort of heavy burden to try to make yourself better so God will love you more. There's something very freeing about that. I think not only as a child of God, but listen, when you're lost, you need to come to realize that too. There's nothing at all you can do to get God to love you. Nothing at all. But God's love is very personal. It's a relationship. Now here's the second part of this message I want to deal with. The first part last week and what we've done so far has been more of the nature of God's love. It's unmerited, everlasting, sacrificial, and personal. Now, whenever I think we live in reality of this greatness of God's love He has for us, it will greatly affect our life. And so we should respond to that love. And one of the effects that God's love will have on us is this. First of all, we will love God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We will love God. The effects of God's love for us is that we will love Him in return. We'll read a, a few verses in 1 John. But in 1 John uh, chapter 4, if we know the love of God that He has for us, then our natural response to that love is that we will love Him in return. In 1 John 4 and verse uh, 8, the Word of God says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Why is it that some people just can't love? They don't know God. They don't, that is the answer for, for how people can truly know what it means to love is they need to know the Lord. But in verse 19, it says this, We love Him because He first loved us. If we know love, it's because God has loved us. If we're able to show that love, it's because God has loved us. And if you love Him, it's because He first loved you. Like we read earlier where it says, it, uh, in this the love of God is manifested, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And listen, because He loves us, we love Him. And we are not ever seeking to try to love God to be loved by God. Right? Back to what we were just saying. 
You can't love God enough to increase His love for you. Well, if I just show the Lord I love Him more, that's somehow going to change how God sees me. No, not at all. It's not going to cause Him to love you any more than He has, dear child of God. But we show our love in various ways to Him. But because God loves us, we will love Him. So how do we love the Lord? How do we love God? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? How do I love God? Well, love isn't just an emotion and a feeling, okay? Real love will show itself. It will reveal itself. It will manifest itself. God didn't just have good emotions and feelings towards us for all eternity past and now. He didn't just have good emotions and feelings and feel-good sentiments towards us. Oh, I just love Him so much. No. He manifested His love by giving His Son for us. God took action because of His love. When we love God, we take action. I mean, Jesus said it like this, if you love me, right? We know the rest of that, right? Keep my commandments. Say, so how do I show God that I love Him? Or how do I show the love of God? By walking in His Word. By obeying the commandments of the Lord. That's, that's how we show God's love. Now, we can't obey God's commandments more and more and cause God to love us more. But I do believe the more we love God, the more we obey God. You understand that? You can't obey God more as a child of God to get God to love you anymore. But when you love God more, you obey God more. And this really helps us to understand this, this basic principle because this is the heart of the matter on why we are not being obedient to the Lord in our, maybe certain aspects of our life. Certain sins, maybe, we're not trying to let go of. Certain areas of obedience that we know we're not following in our life. Certain things we know, the Word of God says, Thou shalt do this, and we're saying, Not yet. The real heart of the matter is this, as a child of God, we need to love Him enough to obey Him. Love Him enough to obey Him in what He has told us to do. The love of God constrains us, or the love of God controls us. The love of God is what we need in our hearts to enable us to obey Him. We do not seek to keep God's commandments so that God will love us. Of course, we've, we've said that over and over. But we keep His commandments, we obey His Word, because we know He loves us. And we love Him. And we want to show that love by being obedient to His Word that He has given us. I'm most certain that the more we as the people of God, and the more we love our Lord, the more we're going to obey Him. And open up the Word of God with a, with a submissive attitude and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I was taught this principle very early on in marriage, and it was this, and, and I think it was very wise advice, and I've referred to it many times over the years, but um, Tracy's pastor, Wayne Reynolds, in, in Missouri, gave me this principle as a young man, and I, I believe it to be true, uh, but he told me, he said, I am to love my wife into submission. Well, that was so simple. It was, it was good, though. It was so good. And um, you know what? I think the Lord does that for us. He does that for us. Husbands, love your wives so much that she will be moved and encouraged to show submission and respect. 
say, well, I will love her when she respects me. <laughs> That's not unmerited love, is it? Love her into submission. And I believe likewise, I mean, God cannot love us anymore, but whenever we know more about the love of Christ, I think we willingly wish to submit to Him more as the head and Lord of our life and surrender more unto Him. So what do we need for total surrender and total submission to Christ in our life as Lord? Listen, as a child of God, we need to be more aware of the extent of how much God has loved us. Listen, we shouldn't get tired of the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, and what Christ did for us, and how much God loved us, because it is our power, it is our strength to encourage us, to motivate us. So a preacher, preacher, we need more instruction, and we need more one, twos, and threes, and how to do this and that. Maybe I can be better at that sometimes. But nothing, listen, will motivate us to do the right thing than to know the love of Christ and the extent of that love. We will find how to serve the Lord when we love Him. If we are learning more about the love of Christ and becoming more intimate with our Lord Jesus, as John was, I think that we will naturally respond with more obedience and we'll be in the Word of God trying to find what the Lord wants for us in our life. Horatius Bonar said this, The love of God to us and our love to Him work together for producing holiness. Terror accomplishes no real obedience. Suspense brings forth no fruit unto holiness. No gloomy uncertainty as to God's favor can subdue one lust or correct our crookedness of will. What's he saying? He's saying fear and certain things of gloomy uncertainty, it can change behavior the outside, but it doesn't affect the heart. He says, but the free pardon of the cross uproots sin and withers all its branches. Only the certainty of love, forgiving love, can do this. Listen, say, I need to obey God more in my life. Well, it's good you see that. But meditate upon how much God has loved you. And when you truly see that, that should move your heart. That should affect you in such deep ways where then you have the willingness, the desire to obey. I am convinced that, that most of us here aren't ignorant of what God is wanting us to do or calling us to do. I am most certain that, that most of us here are aware of some areas of obedience that is needed possibly in our life. It's not that you're not instructed. It's not that we don't know right and wrong. It's the willingness and the desire, the excitement, the passion to want to do those things that we lack. And I'm telling you, behold the cross. See the love that God has had for us. This unmerited, undeserved, unchanging, everlasting, personal love that He has for you as His child. And that should cause our hearts to swell with wonder and awe and amazement and say, I want to love Him because He has loved me. That's what needs to move us, the love of God. The effects of that love will radically change us. So the effects of it is that we will love God. 
A second effect, very simply, will be that we will love one another. Understanding this, this principle and, and the love of God He has for us, it helps in, in all of our relationships. We think about our relationships just within the congregation. If we are fighting or bickering and complaining or gossiping about one another, there's something we need. <laughs> we need the love of God is what we need. That love's got to be unmerited. It's not earned based upon goodness. It's not based upon how well people perform or measure up to our standards. 1 John 4 and verse 11 said this, Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us like we've talked about, we ought also to love one another. He says, He who does not love, in verse 8, does not know God, for God is love. Listen, if we know, if we know the love of God, then we are to obey His commands, as we said, and He has commanded us, this is His commandment, that we love one another. Listen, say, well, I'm really having a hard time loving my spouse. I'm having a hard time loving other people. I'm having a hard time loving people in the church. I know I've got an attitude. I know I'm not very forgiving. I know I'm bitter. I know I've got a critical spirit. I know I, I just let people's faults get underneath my skin. I know I'm not very forbearing. Da-da-da. Well, I hope you can see that about yourself if that be true. But the one thing that you need more than anything is it not necessarily to try harder? Well, I just got to try better in these other areas. It might be that you need reminded, as a child of God, the nature of the love of God that He has for you. And when you understand truly that there's nothing at all that you did to merit the love of God, then you will not require anything anything of the people around you to show them that same love. Well, they don't deserve my love. Well, yeah, maybe they don't. <laughs> but I don't think we deserve God's either. You see how it affects you, how you think about other people in your relationships? As a child of God, if we see we're not loving our brother in the Lord, our sister in the Lord, then we need, we, I think we again need reminded of the kind of love that Christ has had for us. When we meditate upon the unmerited, unchangeable, sacrificial love He has, it enables us, encourages us, moves us to love as He has loved. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It was John uh, in the Apostle or it was what Jesus said in John, in John 13, 34 and 35, I'm mindful of here. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. People read that and they think, new commandment, well, this must be a New Testament thing. That's not what Jesus said. A new commandment. We're taught in the Old Testament to love, okay? There's passages that teach that. But here is the newness of it. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, it's new in the fact that we now have His example, His manifestation to us on how He has loved us by coming to this earth, dying on the cross. This is how we are to love one another. 
You couldn't see it as clear in the Old Testament, right? But he says, I've shown you how to love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In Colossians chapter 3, I, I like this passage specifically because I think that, that Paul is, is moving the people Colossae to love one another based upon that they are loved of God. And so it's the same principle that Jesus had just given us in John 13. But in John or Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, he says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, or the chosen of God, holy and beloved, you are the chosen of God, you are the beloved of God, God has loved you, you are beloved. Then he says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Listen, if that doesn't describe the path that you're seeking to walk and the things you're implementing in your life, then as a child of God, we need reminded, if you would, that we are the beloved. Put these on. You're a beloved of God. He says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It's not a choice. God loved us this way. God has forgiven. God has been forbearing. God has been kind. And Jesus was meek. And God was tender and merciful to us. Listen, all of these things, when we see that Christ has expressed these unto us, we, the beloved, should express these things unto one another. And so if we are struggling in these issues in our life as a child of God, we need reminded of the nature of the love of God. And quickly, the love of God, I mean, the effect of it is that it just inspires hope in us. I want to bear this out just briefly, but in Romans 5 and verse 5, he said this, Now hope does not disappoint or make ashamed, because the love of God has been shed abroad upon our hearts. So the love of God being shed abroad, it encourages us, it gives us hope, it doesn't disappoint, it meets expectations. Listen, the child of God who basks in the love of God, who walks in the love of God, you know what that means, right? Not talking about getting God to love you, but, but you fellowship, you're intimate in that love and in the fellowship. It develops a boldness in us for the Lord. It enables us, encourages us to not be ashamed of Jesus. You don't see any shame at all uh, in John, do you, in his relationship to Jesus? Now, I, I don't, when you read through the Gospels, Listen, you find that when the shepherd was, was struck, the sheep scattered, but the but word of God says that, but there was one that didn't scatter. It was John. John stayed with Jesus. You read the whole account of the gospel, he stayed with him. He was inside when they were against Jesus. That, that kangaroo court was against him. He comes out, opens the door to let Peter come in. John was right there. John was right there at the cross. John was not afraid to be identified with Jesus. Why didn't they attack him too like they did Peter? I don't know. But I don't think that John denied Jesus at that time. There was something special. He had, he had, there was a courage about him. Not because Jesus loved him more. 
one of the best things we can do to help us to be courageous and bold for the Lord, I believe, is to just daily learn to sit, to meditate, to marinate. I don't know if that's the order to be huge word to use, to marinate, if you would, to stay in, to linger in, to dwell in the reality, the intimacy that God has for us. We need to take some time to do that each and every day. And I believe that will radically change your relationships with others. It will radically change your effective witness, your, your power, your, your courage to, to, to speak for the testimony, the gospel of Christ. The love of God changes you. And boy, I tell you what, when you, one of the effects of that love and knowing that love is this, lastly and quickly, it will produce a joy that is just unexplainable. In Romans 5 and verse 11, he says, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 15, we're talking so much about abiding in Christ, that intimacy that John talks about there, or Jesus talks about there in John. Um, when Jesus is talking there about that intimacy, that abiding in Him, one of the things that Jesus says there is that when we have that abiding in Him, that fellowship, communion with Him, He says this, that His joy, would, our joy would be in Him and that it would be full, His joy that would be in us. Full. When we abide in Christ and we abide in that love and in an intimacy with our Savior, there is a joy that we have that cannot be had anywhere else. And that's how children of God who sometimes are going through troubles and tribulations and trials and persecutions, that's why sometimes we find that sometimes they are the most joyful of Christians. I mean, here we are, have the mully grubs, and we don't have anything really going on too bad in our life, and we don't have the joy of the Lord, and we go around a Christian who's got all these bad things going on in their life, and we say, they've got joy. You know why? Because sometimes it's through the sufferings and trials and persecutions that we do what? We draw near to Jesus. We draw close to Jesus. And we draw close to Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on in our life. We can have the joy of the Lord. But I believe we don't have to go through hard times and difficult times to have that. I believe we can daily have that joy from abiding in Christ, dwelling in that love. Peter said, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he wrote that to a very persecuted people in 1 Peter 1, 8. The child of God who knows his Savior loves him, lives in that, walks in that love, that one of the effects of that will be that he will be a joyful child of God. Doesn't that affect us, our, our children sometimes too, right? I mean, sometimes children are not happy, and one of the reasons, not all the reasons, but sometimes is they need that assurance of their parents, of their love. You've seen kids who didn't have that at home. They didn't have the assurance of, of a parent who loved them. And oftentimes that child isn't very happy. And you see that in their face and their expressions and you, and you think, boy, I wish they knew the love of a parent. 
Some of you don't know Jesus. I wish you knew the love of the Father. I wish you knew. I wish you had that. Oh, look to Christ where the greatest love has been displayed. If you're here and lost, I want you to think of this. That you don't truly know the love of Christ yet. You don't know it. You're not aware of it. And the only way that we can know anything about God's love is at Mount Calvary, where the love of God is manifested. And us as saved individuals, I hope that we come to know the love of Christ more intimately in our life, not just simply so we'll be better Christians, not just simply so that we will you know, obey God more. That's one of the, the, the side effects of knowing God's love. And that's how we are motivated to be more obedient and walk in holiness more. The joy that is there and the hope that is there as well. I want us to know more about that. And let us consider this, that if we look at our life and we see that we're lacking in those things, we're not loving God by being obedient, we're not loving one another, uh, we're, we're not, don't have very good hope in regards to expectation in our life, we're kind of ashamed of the gospel. We don't have much joy. Consider this. Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm trusting Christ. But consider this, that we have left our first love. That we've gotten away from Him and His love for us. And that's the real problem. Because it will change us. I'll close with this one last quote. Sinclair Ferguson. I thought this was really good to close on. If we have deep-seated fears that God does not really love us, as many Christians have, we can only go so far in growing nearer to God. <clears throat> there will come a point at which we will fear to trust Him any further because we cannot be sure of His love. When we look at ourselves or our own faith or our circumstances, we will never be free from those lurking fears. Satan will see to that. But when we lift our eyes and look on the cross, we find the final persuasion that God is gracious towards us. How can He be against us when all His wrath against us fell upon Christ? How can He fail to care for us when He gave the only Son He had for our sake? How can we doubt Him when He has given us evidence of His love sufficient to banish all doubts? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Help us to live in a reality of that love that you have for us as your people. And I pray, Lord, that we would bask in that, walk in it, dwell in it, meditate upon it, believe it. Because I know, Lord, the more we do so, that the greater effect it will have upon us. We will love you. We will love others. It will be a greater testimony of the gospel. Have more joy in our life. God, help us, I pray to bask in that love you have for us, knowing that it is unmerited, it is unchanging, it is forever, and it is sacrificial. What great love you've had for us. Thank you for loving us, so unworthy, so undeserving, nothing but the dust of the earth, sinners in rebellion against you, yet you loved us. Thank you for that undying, eternal love. Help us to love you. In Jesus' name, and amen. Let's all stand, please, as we.